Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Mike and Diana gather playing some games. You better pray to your mama that they're not super lame. And if that all sounds cool, I can tell you the name. It's the R-H-A-P-B-M-B. Mike and Diana gather playing some games. You better pray to your mama that they're not super lame. And if that all sounds cool, I can tell you the name. Welcome to the RHAP B&B for episode three of Survivor Marquesas as we continue our travel through time here in the indeterminate Survivor offseason. My name is Mike Bloom, back for another week, another blindside, another series of maladies at sea, and oh, so much more. Let me welcome in this fantastic panel for this week's podcast. First, as always, the I would say sweet pea to my pappy, but considering some of the trouble the actual pappy has gotten in outside of Survivor, I don't know if that's an apt comparison. Liana Boris, Liana, how are you? <laughs> uh, I'm good. I guess I'll take the sweet pea nickname if we can just keep it at that. But I thought this was a really fun episode that we're going to talk about today. If last week was the food episode, this definitely felt like the injury episode. <laughs> uh, so definitely thematic from that perspective. And we are back after our off week of just Liana and myself to bring in a sense of stability to the insanity that Liana and I bring to this. And we're so happy to have this guy back who actually kind of beat us to the punch several weeks back when he was doing his own rewatch of season three, episode seven of Survivor Africa, which we're skipping right over in this case. But we're so happy to bring this guy back, the co-host of 32 Fans and Robin Akiba Need a Podcast, Akiba Winokur. Welcome back to the B&B. Uh, first of all, you said panel, and I was like, are they surprising me? Is there, like, a special guest besides me? Because, like, Liana's part of the panel? Mike's part of the panel? I didn't know that. I didn't know we're a three-person panel. I mean, I guess I guess it's like a, I think, a, you know, a panel. Is it, do three people constitute a panel? Can there be a two-person panel? Ooh, good question. Can you have a one-person panel? I think, I think panel is three, but also, like, you're, I don't know. I don't know. You, you guys are like the, you guys are like the judges, and I'm, I'm the jury or something. I don't know if we're on the same panel. I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> Like, yeah, and I'm not sure. I also don't know about the stability that Akiva supposedly brings, but I'll go with you on that, Mike. I mean, considering what we did last week, like, we'll see how off topic we get <laughs> once more. Considering that we just spent the past 10 minutes before coming on here talking about the FX show Dave, I FX might X. agree with Leon's assessment here. <laughs> yeah, don't forget the extra X in the panel. It's three, Mike. <laughs> 
Exactly. It takes three letters to make a panel or a channel. Uh, yeah, I, I want to get into this episode because, you know, we watched three episodes so far, season one, episode one, season two, episode two, and now season four, episode three. I got to say, I think this might be my favorite of the ones we've watched so far. No besmirching to, you know, the Borneo premiere or Australia episode two, but God, this episode had so much in it between the injuries, between the, the Pascal and Nalia stuff, which is going to become super important to like Boston Rob's first big move in Survivor history. It just seemed like so much happened over in the course of 42 minutes that made it arguably like one of the most important episodes, if not of the season, than of early Survivor. Uh, Akiva, as someone who was sort of dropped in not only on this podcast slash panel, but, you know, watching this episode again with no prior context to it. What did you think watching it back? You know, it brought back a lot of memories because, and I'd like to hear where you guys first watched it, if you watch it live or whatever, and what you were feeling. But I, uh, I, I've mentioned on a bunch of Survivor podcasts that I was abroad for season three and four. And for season three, we were, we, uh, we had a friend who got the VHSs and we would watch them a couple weeks late. And we were very excited watching Ethan's on win, but season four, it like it had died down a little bit. So I did not watch it live. I don't think I knew who won. And then when I got to college, like they had this like network where you could watch old shows, you know, many years before you would have been able to do it on a normal Internet. But you just I, took, I, I like, believe it was I believe it was OLN, like the outdoor network did reruns of like the first uh, six okay. or seven Survivor seasons. Okay, but I mean, I mean, when I say network, I mean, like an internal sort of like nerdy college thing that this that a couple oh, of computer nerds had where you could watch like any show. So they had the Survivor. So I was able to go back and watch this unspoiled, which was very fun. Um, before, and I was like, well, hey, why is this Boston Rob guy going to be on All-Stars? Like, I, did he win? I never heard of him. But, so I was able to watch this season basically like in an early binge, before binges even existed. But it was, it was painful because the, the, the tribe I was rooting for kept losing. And it's one of the reasons I probably haven't rewatched this season. Uh, it, like, I was rooting so hard. I was a, a big Sean Rector guy. I don't think I liked Boston, like, I don't think I love Boston Rob, but like, I was certainly rooting for, for their tribe. So just the constant losing was was very annoying, you know? Yeah, that's that's tough. It's been so. So when I first watched this season, I didn't start watching Survivor until probably the 20s, like around season, probably, I think, 24, 23, 24. What a mm-hmm. fun time to get into live Survivor. But I was oh, so the first thing you saw was like Coach and Ozzy. And you're like, great. I don't I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> More of this. Give me this crazy man, the dragon slayer, and uh, and I'll run with that. Yeah. So I went back and I rewatched the you know starting from Borneo and going forward, and it was kind of fun to be able to watch these episodes and these seasons without being within the zeitgeist of the Survivor community, either live or even sort of the history of Survivor, like what it had been at the time. And so I was watching it super blind. I didn't know who anybody was. I didn't know that Boston Rob was a big deal. So I was like, who's this guy? He thinks he thinks he's hot stuff. He's going to come in and be the godfather, whatever, Boston Rob. So I was happy. I remember when he got voted out. Now in retrospect, being able to kind of come back and rewatch and know the history of Boston Rob, I think I have more... I don't know if respect is the right word, but it's definitely more interesting and more intriguing. And to be able to now knowing the full story, see the evolution 
of strategy. <laughs> That's so clever. Someone should take advantage of that as a phrase um, and to see that change. So this was a really fun episode to watch because that's that entire segment before they go to tribal council was just really interesting from a really early naive strategy perspective. Yeah, this, that's the thing is that I think, you know, there are moments in survivor history that have been a bit Mandela'd or forgotten. Like from this season, I think the first thing that everyone talks about, right, is the coconut chop challenge, which we might get to in our, in our journey down the line. But it's this idea of like, that was the big defining moment in survivor history. But I alluded to this on the end of our last podcast. I feel like the hunter vote is super important as well, uh, because up to this point, three seasons prior, if you were the big athletic alpha male, there was almost no chance you were going to go pre-merge. Like maybe a Joel situation happens and you go right before the merge, but you're not going home in the first few votes, especially when your tribe loses the first five challenges. This is completely game-changing. And to Akiva's point, I also feel like when we talk about train wreck tribes, I think when Survivor history comes about, the very first one we think about is Oolong right from Survivor 10, but Mata Amu, I think, has sort of been forgotten in Survivor history as the first ever train wreck tribe, where they're just like, again, even without contact, without watching the previous two episodes, the first thing we see in this episode is all them bickering at the fire, and you can tell, like, you feel like the brains tribe from Kagayan and the brawn tribe from Korong, like in this moment right here with Mata Amu not caring at all about winning challenges really, so much so as like, I don't need to work. I don't need to win challenges. I just need to have people that I can trust or in Rob's case that I can keep under my thumb. Yeah, I was trying to think if there's that much just racking my brain for how many times we see all out yelling and fighting about stuff. I think because I watch so many other reality TV shows where that is much more than norm. I forget that that's not so common on Survivor. Uh, and so to see everybody just yelling at each other at that, you know, from that first scene was just really interesting and really fun. Yeah, I, th I think it was, it, again, it was a different tribe dynamic. Cause I also think that like, it was the people that were in there. Like I think Hunter and Gina, you know, the context was that they, along with Mama Patricia, had voted out Sarah last time, mm -hmm. but Boston Rob was able to get the votes against Patricia. Uh, and so now they're sort of ticked off. And so the episode opens with basically like this open forum discussion of like, here's how, why we don't like your leadership, Hunter. And then Hunter subsequently saying like, here's why we don't like your work, eth work ethic, Sean. And to see them sort of go back and forth and then to have challenges like the raft challenge sort of like manifest that. And this is also going to be the last episode where like this configuration exists. And so I think it's a perfect episode to show that like this tribe is just a hot mess across the board where their priorities are not aligning whatsoever and any decisions where you would think on paper the tribe would be a no-brainer to make they do the complete opposite mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um because i'm i'm trying to think like it just, okay so while you say yeah, like yes it's super dramatic and there's like sort of lots of fighting there were times though where it felt like yeah, this could have been edited in such a more dramatic way. And I think that also just kind of goes to show how Survivor has changed or even just reality TV has changed um, over the course of time where some of the things here you could hear that you would expect maybe some more dramatic music or cuts or things like that. This was just people hashing it out over the fire. Yeah, and I was a bit surprised at the, I don't know, the morning show, I did not think this episode, this is another reason why this episode is so packed, I didn't remember that, like, 
this particular episode of the morning show, arguably the most famous version of the Madamu morning show happened in this episode. But to your point, Liana, like it's apparently water under the bridge the next day and they're all hanging out and having fun, which speaks to like this weird dichotomy of how, despite the fact that they sort of hate each other's guts to a certain extent, they're going to like be able to still goof around. But then once they lose a challenge again, like it's all going to go reset back to the same mentality. Yeah. Uh, Akiva, do you Mm. know the phrase, this is a checkup from the neck up? Is that a thing? Because that's something V says. And I didn't know if that was a phrase, a normal phrase or something that other people say. Honestly, I Googled what she was saying. I thought you said like something about Mecca. I didn't, I had no idea. I was trying to, I, I had no idea. I was Googling like check 10, up from the Mecca. Check up from the Mecca. I'm like, ah, I've never heard that. It's pretty good. Um, it, I was very confused what she was saying. You know, she has a, she's really underrated as a confessionaler. Uh, mm-hmm. V. She has some really good confessionals during the season. Um, but I have no idea what she was talking about then. And I don't ever remember hearing it. Uh, you know, I feel like I would have been saying that for the last, you know, 15 years had I had I heard that then. No, I think V is more so remembered for like, and she says that uh, maybe like five minutes after the checkup from the the Mecca conversation of like, there's too much drama in this place. Like her big uh, reputation, right, was like she was the under the radar player, didn't want to get involved in the drama. I actually feel like uh, Boston Rob ends up vocalizing her game really well during that scene that you were talking about, Liana. Or actually, no, I think it was early on in the episode when he's talking about Hunter and he's basically like, uh, well, you know, there are these big guys that come out here and want to be the ones in charge. I'm like, that's fine. I'll let them do that. And then I'll just be able to like slip in in the background. And that is sort of like what happens to V because after Hunter leaves, Boston Rob ends up sort of becoming the Hunter and he ends up going as a result, which allows players like V to slip by for much longer than maybe they should initially have been. Mm -hmm. I can't remember if this is well. Okay. So I have two points. So first of all, let's go back to Akiva's uh, uh, comment about V being a very good confessional giver in this episode, the, we have four L's, four L's and then does the loser sign to the camera made my life that was amazing (laughs) she's like 15 Um, years early on that right yeah okay well that's what I was trying to place I don't know uh, because I'm thinking about shape of an L on her forehead uh, a la all-star I feel like that was what late 90s so I don't know if she's capitalizing on that okay so it's not the same way we you you wouldn't have said take an L you're saying Oh, so yeah, we no, think no, she's no, being not- cool, and you're saying it's the least cool thing imaginable. <laughs> Smash Mouth's all star. <laughs> well, now that you say that, because I was trying to remember when that album, that, that Smash Mouth album came out. Um, and yeah, I think that must have been, you said it was late 90s? Was it really yeah, late it 90s? Was, it was a song on the Mystery Should we call Josh Wiggler right now? Oh, it's like his yes. expertise. He's, he has a master's in this song. <laughs> okay, yeah, because she does do the loser sign to her forehead uh, on the camera, so... Um, So that was very entertaining. And then the other point I was trying to make was, oh, yes. So this wasn't from this episode. I don't think I did watch some Boston Rob super cuts (laughs) because uh, of reasons. In which Boston Rob goes to super cuts. (laughs) Right. Well, that was before quarantine. Okay. So, you know, got to maintain now. Who do you think? Who do you think cut Boston Rob's hair in quarantine, by the way? Like, is it Amber Amber. or do you think he he entrusts one of his daughters to do it? Uh, No. (laughs) His daughters are young. he's, He's been putting them to work. Yeah, but I think there's a difference between letting a kid have clippers near your head and having them clean the floor, which I think is one of the Instagram stories that I saw. But um, I don't know, Mike, would you let your, you know, four year old son cut your hair? That's a good question. I don't know. I what mean, I age? Guess- yeah, that's the question. What age would you start allowing Asher to cut your hair? 
I'm going to defer this to Akiba who actually has children of a significant age. Like, mm. is there a breaking point in your opinion, a line of like, if my child is blank years old, I might give them an opportunity to cut my hair. It's a great sign, by the way, if you like that, you send your kids to like a terrible nursery school. Is if like, oh, yeah, like uh, Johnny cut Sally's hair today, you know, at, it was like, oh, what, what happened? Like, it wasn't just like one lock he got in and they like, how did he get access to the scissors? So I have heard that story a lot. Like now as a parent, I, I don't think there's an age like I would let my daughter who's 14 cut my hair, maybe my 11 year old, but not my six year old. So it's somewhere between six and 11. I would I would allow allow them to do some sort of uh, hair cutting. But also I'm like a balding man who isn't super, you know, possessive of his hair. So for someone else, it might be much older. I don't know. <laughs> okay so well you'll have to figure that out thankfully mike you have several years to <laughs> to yeah, make exactly. that uh, i have several years to really teach asher how to become a barber so that when he reaches six i'll be like great son i'm putting the clippers in your hand now it's finally time for you to take on this mantle it's like the ron swanson situation where when he's six years old he can go out and get his first job um anyway the point i was okay what was i talking about boston rob supercuts but not the barber shop okay uh yes it was a quote that he said about v where it's when they get swapped so i think the next episode when boston rob is talking about being on the outs and he says that you know v is just a little bit better about and then he makes the like kissing sound which obviously means kissing ass but i think that just goes to show the social game right because that was what v was all about and i I think I'm now in retrospect really appreciating her win so much more and sort of thinking her thinking of her from that perspective. It, it just it makes me want to go back and rewatch the whole season. Yeah. Well, I know I've always thought that Marquesas has been an underrated season for me, in my opinion. Uh, I always put in like the top half, occasionally bordering on top 10, just because I think it, like this episode alone made me really fall back in love with this season because like the cast is so interesting there's a lot of interesting strategy going on again even outside of like the fall of the road to four uh you know you have a lot of likable characters or interesting characters like there's always something going on in marquesas which i find super interesting it might not also might not necessarily be the case with all of old survivor i will also say though i mean if we're talking about watching baby boston rob especially right on the heels of Winners of War. It's so interesting to go back in time. And also, like, yes, people might complain a bit about, like, Boston Rob as a television character, especially on Island of the Idols when he was, like, one of the worst hosts that we have seen reading off the cue card. But he has come a long way. He was so monotone and lax in Survivor Marquesas. Like, even when he was talking about, you know, quoting The Godfather, I don't know, I just got this very, like, lazy sleepy impression of boston rob from our cases it's sleepy boston rob and maybe it's because mata amu like hasn't been catching food they haven't been running rewards so he's like more sedentary but like i don't know he's so kind of blase he's not as captivating and confessional as maybe we're used to as of late he's become more media trained i think in the many appearances that he's had on survivor isn't it weird to think of boston rob also like he's 25 uh when this films I feel like Boston Rob is perpetually 40. Like, even though now he's beyond 40, he's still 40. But when he was when he was 25, he was also like an old man just spouting like aphorisms. 
Like he, you know, I can't imagine like Boston Robin College. He was just always forty, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good point, and I, I didn't even think about that because you know when I started watching, no, he must have been younger than forty. But I do always kind of think his Boston Rob is the same person. <laughs> he's just he's always been that way. Um, and so to think of the Boston Rob evolution and really think about oh how he's changed, I feel like he hasn't really changed all that much. But then that that being said, Mike, to your point, is in in my my super cut watching absolutely he's so much more monotone in Marquesas than he is in Winners at War which is the most dramatic and drastic contrast you can tell he his accent softens a little bit and it, it is subtle but it, it, there are definitely changes even though yes to Akiva's point he is perpetually 40 years old and I wonder if that also just speaks to like the original casting as well and like how far it comes. Granted, we've seen it change in one person, but like I do think because there's just been so much survivor now, casting now tends to favor those that will like leap off the street screen and really to to like use a Jeff Probst aphorism, like tell their story. Boston Rob wasn't necessarily like telling his story in a really energetic way that first time, but I think he was still doing it in such a unique way. Cause again, like we hadn't really had a player, maybe besides Richard Hatch who approach the game of Survivor in such a Machiavellian way and succeed to a certain extent. Like, Boston Rob's only going to have four more episodes after this, but I think looking back, I would call him the undisputed star of the first half of Marquesas, which, again, now I think understands in retrospect why he ends up getting cast for All-Stars after certain people decline. Mm-hmm. Don't you think, though, like, after watching the first half of the season, had you said to somebody, like, all right, Survivor, like, is going to be around for 40 seasons, they're going to bring back people regularly starting with season eight uh one person from this cast going to come back once one person's going to come back you know six times uh and and you'd be it would be I, th- I don't know if you'd guess uh, you might even guess like all right boston rob comes back once or kathy comes back once and like sean rector comes back six times like it, it's yeah, almost like the sean and, yeah. and rob show and it's funny that one has become like the you know biggest sort of star in the history of the show and one i i can't imagine like if you said sean rector's name to jeff prost i'm not sure if he'd even remember who he was you know <laughs> yeah that's fair boston rob is not the person who you would expect to have such the legacy on survivor you know part of that i think is aided by the fact that he does so well in all stars so you know if all stars maybe doesn't go the same way like does boston rob have that legacy but he he now thinking about it and seeing how he was able to really change the strategy of being willing to vote out Hunter in this episode, it really does make a big difference because it was sort of Hunter doesn't even expect at all that it would be him. No, like he, when, he's voting, when he's voting for Sarah, he's like, I'm doing this because, you know, a, uh, you know, I'm not a fan. Uh, you feel like you're not your heart's on air and B, I'm doing this to protect someone who I feel might be in danger. He thinks that Gina's going mm-hmm. the entire time. He does not even have an iota in his head that they're going to vote off the leader of their tribe. And lo and behold, they say, screw you and send him out of the game. I mean, not only the leader, but also a strong physical person as well too so and because they've been losing challenges so hunter expects oh well it would it would absolutely never be me you know because they need me for the challenges yeah it's, it's almost like the intentional matt singh just done much much later like this swap had only happened one time before i can't imagine at this point unlike modern survivor they're like expecting it so I have no idea what Mata Amu was planning to do. I think there's a very good chance they would, if they stuck together, they would lose all six pre-merge immunity challenges, meaning only two people would go to the merge. But I think for Boston Rob, like that didn't matter to him. 
to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. That's also a bit of a deviation as well that like people, you know, I've been rewatching Borneo for Survivor Historians and like that was such an ardent thing was like, we have to win no matter what to make sure that we survive another day. Boston Rob came here basically being like, I know I'm going to survive another day. It's just a matter of me picking who I want to go into battle with me. And it doesn't matter if, you know, five Mata'am who's making to the merge or one, if I don't trust you, I don't, I want to vote you out ASAP. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. One of my uh, main Survivor Marquesas takeaways after I watched it the first time also, and I still think this is true, I think of all 40 seasons, and this might be like a fun game to look through all the casts, I think if you were like the Mark Burnett's, Jeff Probst, the casting people, and predicting on day one how people are going to do, I think this is the season you would have gotten the most wrong. Like if you really knew every character, because it's almost like a backwards boot order in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, looking, looking at the final four, Vesepia, Nalia, Kathy, and Pascal, I mean, you have, even <laughs> just looking at Pascal and Kathy, you have like, two of the oldest members of row two who we've even seen in earlier seasons, those tend to be the ones that the older people or the outcasts mm-hmm. are the ones that are sort of cast off first. I think both of them definitely benefit from row two's winning streak to a certain extent. Uh, but those two would definitely be people that would stick out on paper as like, Oh yeah, those are definitely first boots should row two, you know, end up losing early. Uh, and yeah, you end up having people like, Peter Harkey being the first boot for just being a big old weirdo is probably one of the biggest surprises of the first four seasons mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is uh, like, two of the two, sorry, two of the oldest people are first out and then, and then the, the, the other two old people are, uh, and that's, you know, everybody over, over 35 on the show or 36 on the show are in the final four and like, you know, could have maybe done, you know, even better if, uh, if things had gone differently. But it's mm-hmm. it's just and like like you said the the uh, you know Hunter Ellis like very it's such an un, even even like after season four such an unusual early boot I'm sure like a lot of people thought he would win uh, you know Boston Rob like for for everything that happens like comes in third place and and Sean comes in second place out of the eight people on their tribe like if they were winning challenges who knows you know it's not like mm-hmm. he, you know he they they lasted a, through a zillion especially Sean lasted through a million tribal councils so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see what Boston Rob 1.0 would have done with some type of majority going into the merge. I think that would have been super interesting to see. You know, probably he runs it like he would when he did Redemption Island, just get, yeah. keep that group together and um, and then run everybody else into the ground. So um, I think that would have been interesting, interesting to see. Yeah, I think that. The difference probably would have been that he might command less respect. Like, I think something that worked out for him in Redemption Island is that he had this reputation and mm-hmm. he was older, right? So, like, when he was on this tribe with. No, 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 a Mike. Bunch of, he's been 40 this whole time. Yes, same That's age. true. I guess uh, physically or, or visually, he has looked older. Uh, so, when he's on a tribe with, like, a bunch of younger people and Philip Shepard, they tend to look up to him more as both a veteran of the game and, I guess, of life, I suppose, than, like, if he's coming into this and, you know, he has, I mean, he's, he butts heads with someone like John Carroll, who is also a big facet of this episode, as well as like another alpha male in his own regard. And so I, I do wonder if he ha- might have a bit more trouble than he would in some of his subsequent seasons. But I could imagine him still sort of like commanding the troops, because again, like this hunter boot seemed to be entirely him. He orchestrated it. And I think that shows how much control he had over at least like the Sarah Sean V contingency. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, he talks about the fact that he has complete control over the tribe when the swap comes, right? Like, oh, I was in complete control. Um, 
And now that's been destroyed. What am I going to do? I got to figure out how I'm going to fit in. And I think when you look at the way that the votes go, the Peter, the Patricia and the Hunter vote all really are due to Boston Rob and Boston Rob's maneuvering. Yeah, it's an interesting point. So yeah, it's interesting to sort of see these breadcrumbs, you know, especially watching these complaints of like, well, Boston Rob does the same thing. You know, he's doing the buddy system on steroids to sort of like see his Batman begins of it all. His origin story is interesting, especially when he does end up doing something successful here and truly change. The, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of like when the next time, I guess maybe Survivor Amazon and Akiva, you've watched it more recently than I have. But I feel like that's maybe the next time we'll really see a bunch of like more athletic, younger males shockingly get booted pre-merge. But I feel like Boston Rob sort of laid down the runway and Mata Amu in general laid down the runway for that type of stuff to exist, that like athletic males are not Teflon when it comes to the pre-merge of Survivor. Well, part right, of it is exactly. because there's 12, I, I you know, I, I, what's scary to me is Robert's only a couple years older than I am and he's wearing a Jets yeah, hat. The general. That could have been that could have been me wearing a Jets hat who's right now two years <laughs> younger than Robert was when they filmed. That's scary. Yeah. And I, it's so interesting to me that, you know, obviously I think clothing restrictions have changed in terms of like what you can wear. Obviously, there are exceptions with, you know, Rob's Boston hat, but between the Patriot hat that he wears and just, like, the jet, the Jets gear that the Generals decked out in for the challenge, I was surprised how much they let them get away with in terms of what I mean, they, look, they, what they let Danny wear, you know, seven seasons later That's or whatever. True, yeah. Like that. I, did she bring that Chiefs hat for this season? I feel like she did. Oh, for Winners at War? I, f- I feel like I saw it in, like, a yeah. picture or something. Well, she, well, she, she had the, the hat, specially she had the yeah, she had the specially made jersey. She, made jersey, but she, she didn't have this. You remember, she had it was like almost like a plastic like fireman hat that in the in Guatemala. Did I think she had a pink that? one for this oh, okay. one for this season. So I don't think it was the same one. Um. I so, but yeah. So anyway, Robert is is sort of the bridge between like the old people. He's thirty eight. I guess that's old. Um. The, but like, there's four people in the forties. But it is a young season, which does lead to somebody like Hunter, who is is literally one of the older people left by the third episode uh you know be you know being at risk i think like similar to amazon if there aren't a ton of old people sometimes like a strapping young male does go early and and you know and maybe upsets the apple cart and then you have you know a different type of winner Hmm. yeah yeah because hunter was what 33 at the time of filming Mm -hmm. i think i'm looking at now so yeah yeah i feel like the general is someone who is uh not often remembered, especially so many seasons later. But it, it was this is a super interesting episode because again, this is like as Liana says, the injury episode. I feel like were this like five seasons later, you have medical check out his toe and possibly like evacuate him for infection. I was very surprised that, and I guess we saw this in in uh, Borneo as well, right? Where like Sonia. Uh, breaks it like cuts her, her knee open in the first episode and Sean's treating it I love this idea that Survivor's like yeah I mean we have someone who has a medical professional on the tribe like they can treat it we don't need to bring in the, the medics or anything to actually take a look at it oh my god when yeah when John Carroll is cutting like some of the general's skin off to like clean it and bandage it up I was like ah do they not <laughs> shouldn't they get some sterilized medical equipment out there like okay fine just wrap it up with whatever seaweed you can yeah, find like, and go it with like, it. I don't know, like a scarf or something that they ripped a portion of fabric up and just wrapped it up so the general has this big like gangrenous toe and he's hobbling around while he's making this raft. Ew, that's so gross. 
wonder if they, uh, I can't remember if they, if they have continued to let people own sandals, but I wonder if, like, let's say the thing as well is that the general was walking around in those flip flops and that's what caused the rock to get under his toe and slice it open. Yeah. There were also a lot of hats this episode, Mike. I thought you would appreciate that. Uh, I love it. I love it so much. I mean, it's the early survivor was like a noticeable hat phenomenon, like between Sean with the bucket mm-hmm. hat. Uh, we referenced the general with his Jets hat before and obviously Rob's Patriots hat. Like, but that and the sunglasses, they were totally fine of like, listen, we don't want you to get the sun in your eyes. That's totally fine. I think nowadays they're like, let us see as much of your eyes as possible, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what the, the circumstance may be or how much that might blind you potentially. Ugh, that's so lame. Bring back sunglasses. I personally think so, because I want to see like fun little sunglasses. You know, like I want to see sunglasses with eyes painted on them so that uh, it looks like you're awake when actually you're sleeping the whole time. Did you ever try to pull that in class where you, you know, do it with the ping pong balls or the googly eyes? You stick them on your eyes so you can sleep in class. I don't know. Kiva, you're a former teacher. Was that ever actually pulled off or was that only reserved for like Archie comics? I honestly, this is maybe a hot take. I was if there was a kid who like wasn't going to pay attention and like sort of sleep, but not have not everyone realize he's sleeping. To me, that's the biggest win you could have as a teacher. Because, like, if, if he's sleeping straight out, then it's, like, disrespectful, and then the other kids think they could sleep. But, like, you're it's probably going to be one of the biggest troublemakers or someone who's, like, useless, you know, in terms of, like, answering questions or whatever. Let them sleep. Like, I want I want the kids who are there to to learn to learn and, and not to be distracted. So I was, you know, my, my trick was, like, Send send the uh, the kid who gives me the most problems on like a totally fruitless errand because I know he's going to get caught up in the hall for like 25 minutes. And listen, that's a principal's problem. You know, let the let the principal deal with the kid in the hall and he gets mad at me. I'll say, listen, he you know, better you than me, because I, you know, I don't know. That's that's why I'm not a teacher anymore. But should Hunter have done that with his tribe, right? Because he has an issue with like Sean doesn't want to work or like he only wants to be told to do it instead of being assumed. But when I ask him, he says no. Should he have like put him as like the troublemaking kid and like put him on a special mission? Absolutely. You have to give them jobs that seem very important. You don't see you don't want that kid to be like the guy who races the blackboard because then they'll write like draw a picture of like a wiener or or like, uh, you know, like um, uh, like you know, write, write a curse word on the, on the board. So you have to know which jobs to give, which people, but you know, I'm not saying this all from, you know, lots of experience, but sure. That's you, you learn which jobs to give, which people. Yeah. Okay. That's uh again, survivor strategy for the future. I'll keep that in mind when we're evaluating, I guess it would be Sarah also would have to get some sort of task that is, you know, doable, but just would send her on some sort of, trip so mm. now let's take a break to hear a word from our sponsors with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
And we are back. Um, okay. Are we ready to get into our first game now that we have talked forever about uh, this season and this episode? Uh, these are Boston Rob. This is a Boston Rob game. Okay, so spoiler alert. That's why I, I watched the supercuts of Boston Rob. What I have done is, uh, well, I was, okay, backstory. I was fascinated by some of the Boston Rob quotes, as monotone as they were uh, from this episode. The whole Godfather thing and really just setting down what his plan is and what really sets a strategy for the rest of Boston Rob's games on Survivor. And one of those quotes was, it doesn't matter if my team is stronger physically or mentally, just that they obey. So, okay, Boston Rob. What, because it was so interesting that his strategy had not really changed all that much over the course of history. I wanted to pull a bunch of Boss and Rob quotes, and I wanted to see if you guys could identify what season he said the quote. Oh, no. So this is going to be like the, this is like the, I don't know, the touring test of Boston Rob, right? If we can figure out like if Boston Rob has actually changed as a person if, over his six seasons. If only there was a Rubot equivalent. So for Rob Boston Rob, yeah, the Rob bot. And I could have pulled some of those as well. So, and then that would have been, a, I guess, a seventh category. But no, well, I don't know. Uh, Akiva, I do believe that Renap listeners are trying to generate an AI to produce Renap ideas, maybe as a side project uh, for the troublesome AI generators. They can then create a Boston Rob AI quote generator. You could really mess with the bot with the AI bot, too, now that I think about it. One troublemaker could submit like. 500 like poop related ideas and change the bot to like do poop stuff. I don't know. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm thinking about that now because I was uh, reached out to to submit some of the ideas from wheel or no wheel. I should have just thrown a bunch of nonsense ideas in there as well to mess with you guys. But yeah, but then the most thing I would make like what every fourth word poop in the idea. <laughs> well, I don't think I would have gone poop focus necessarily. Um, one of the, one of the ideas today is. Um, is here we go hold on um rob and akiva try to guess whether or not josh is a virgin <laughs> what <laughs> wait this was a real idea yeah, it's from idea. Renapot, june oh. 13th <laughs> oh my god Renapot, such like a prying missing yeah that's amazing and it was weird it tagged his wife also what? No, I'm joking. <laughs> but there's a, there is a Mike Bloom idea. I wanted to read the Mike Bloom idea. Um, okay. It's called Robs versus Zombies. Rob, <laughs> Rob and Akiva are joined by Mike Bloom to play out a season of Rob and Akiva versus Zombies. Mike has played this game with Akiva, and they have a great fun playing it. Also, this would be good for you, Mike. Uh, Rob and Akiva explain sports. I have no idea what sports are, and I can't be alone. That actually does sound like why. I mean, that's the reason why I do many podcasts. It's because I don't know a lot about sports and I can't be alone. So I think it's really pride into my inner psychology. Oh, my gosh. And you would have such a great fun playing it. Absolutely. I would not feel like a zombie at all, which is really what uh, Mark Case's Boston Robin Confessionals is like. Oh, I'm so excited. This is amazing. Um, yeah, the Rootbot before it really went off the rails was one of my favorite Twitter accounts where just it's it's just the right amount of absurdity for me uh, that really just makes me laugh. So 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to some of these ideas. Uh, in the meantime, unfortunately, no uh, bots here. These are straight quotes from Boston Rob, which he also likes the term Fruit Loop to insult people, which I think I like uh, potentially. I hope that's not canceled. But if it is, let me know. If not, I'm going to try to start using it. What we're going to do is we're going to start with Mike. I'm going to read you a quote and you are going to guess what season it's from. So straightforward. I have included Island of the Idols here. So uh, even though he's not playing and he's just advising that I have pulled some quotes from that season as well. All right, Mike, here's your first quote. He's dangerous. Oh, I'm not going to do a Boston Rob accent because that's like just not going to happen. Okay. He's dangerous. I know. (laughs) He's dangerous because of his stupidity. He's probably the most unaware person I've ever met in my entire life. Ooh. I'm, I, my first kneecap response, I, that's not a phrase, but my kneecap response is to say that he's saying that about Philip Shepard, so I'm going to go with Redemption Island. Uh, so kneecap response, I believe, was from the Akiva and Rob uh, Renat bot, but uh, yes, you are correct. Redemption Island was the season that he was talking about, although there are a lot of quotes that Boston Rob has about uh, the various people he's faced on Survivor. And Akiva, this next quote is for you, and is also about someone uh, that Rob has met on mm-hmm. Survivor. I'm still hung up on kneecap response. I've been Googling it. Uh, <laughs> Google knew what knee I was talking about. Re- knee jerk reflex, yeah. also yeah, called knee, the patella reflex. Knee jerk response but, is but also knee like response. A kneecap, maybe that'll take over. That that could, I think that could catch on. Knee, kneecap response. Because what's a knee jerk? Like we talk about kneecaps way more. Knee, yeah, but the knee, the knee jerk is the physical motion. It, that is yeah, the but, but where does it come but, from? But it's coming kneecaps. from the kneecaps, the patella. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's yeah okay. <laughs> yeah, we're going with the noun, not the verbally. All right, we're we'll a noun type of world nowadays. <laughs> My kneecap response to hearing that phrase is that it's incorrect, but I also find it funny, so I'm I'll allow it on the B and B. All right, Akiva, this quote is for you. Blank's a bonehead. So I've removed the name because otherwise, duh. Blank is a bonehead. He's like the Hobbit on crack. Ooh, this is, see, this really dates itself. First of all, bonehead, I feel like people haven't said since, um, you know, 2004, since five. Since the days of All-Star. Yeah, so I think it has to be All-Stars. I think it, it's, it could be Marquesas. I don't think he would have said this by, it's possible by Heroes Villains. It's only eight years later, but I'm going to say Survivor All-Stars. But I don't know who he's talking about. That would be okay, a hobbit. So maybe Boston Rob is a little behind on uh, in the times because this was from Heroes Village. Oh, it has to be about from- Russell. Had I really yes. thought about it, there's nobody mm-hmm. on, on All Stars he would have called uh, he would have called the Hobbit. So that, yeah, there was the a hobbit giveaway there. Crack. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, that one was absolutely, absolutely about Russell, which I did watch like a 10 minute video of Russell v. Rob, <laughs> which was very entertaining. Russell is a crazy person. Mike, this quote is for you. How do we go from now all the way to tribal without getting sketched out with each other? That has to be the aforementioned uh, buddy system on crack. It's got to be winners at war. Yes, that is correct. That was from the most recent season of Survivor. All right, Akiva, mm. this quote is for you. She's She definitely is perceptive. The question is, is her perception reality? Ooh. 
I'm going to say uh, Island of the Idols. Yes, that is correct. I believe that was a, was that about Nora, Mike? I was I was thinking the, the first thing I thought of was that it was Nora because she was she was talking about, but I don't know because I honestly don't know if Rob would like give Nora enough credit to call her perceptive. You know, I think it would just be like Nora's not very perceptive, nor is she really based in reality. Right. Well, I had so I couldn't find a super cut of Island of the Idols of Boston Rob because he you know really wasn't his game. However, because of the B and B, I had a ton of quotes from Boston Rob from Island of the Idols including look at Dean rolling up his shirt showing his muscles again yeah. so thankfully that was one of the ones that I or, uh, or Vince you don't know where you're from <laughs> yeah exactly at least I know where I'm from I think it's one of the quotes there too uh, alright well Akiva that is correct yes from Island of the Idols Mike this next quote is for you if you can figure out what it is that that person wants, persuading them should be easy. Ooh, see, that sounds like an early season. I would not be surprised. Is that from Marquesas? No, I'm sorry. That was from oh. Island of the Idols, actually. Oh. Yeah, so it was something, though, that is has been a through line in Boston Rob's strategy uh, throughout the years. So I understand that logic. I'm, I'm trying to remember who he was, like, whose game was it? Oh, maybe it was part of, like, the, uh, maybe that was part of the Nora thing, or maybe it was the Lauren thing, right, to convince people to set out the challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't remember, again, because I just had this list of quotes completely out of context, uh, but I believe it was probably from one of those. That just makes sense, because those were the two challenges, or tasks, or whatever they were called, where they had to convince somebody to do something. So uh, Yeah, oh, and then there was also the great boss of Rob Cup. You ever see a pencil on Survivor before? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. That one I thought may have been pretty obvious as to which season <laughs> <laughs> that was from. Uh, but yes, so I definitely didn't go with that. Okay, Akiva, this quote is for you. One mm. way to make somebody do what you want them to do is to find what they hold dear. I, I'm this sounds very all stars ish. I think he's like not smart enough to say this by season four, but also could it be 22? Well, what is your final answer? Uh, eight. I'm gonna go eight. Eight. Okay. Uh, it was actually Heroes Villains. Uh, so right smack dab in the middle, uh, between the two. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, he had about? a couple of quotes that were like this. Uh, I don't remember who, okay. who he was talking about in this in this instance. Anybody? Russell. It honestly could be any. Yeah, it could be Russell. It could be Coach. It could be uh, anyone. Uh, Mike, we're going back to you. Blank is big and tough, and wants everybody to know that he's probably got a little sausage. Oh, that's him talking about the general. Yeah, that is, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to your point, Boston Rob is sort of like a human burn book. I think people usually equate that to somebody like Courtney Yates, but like Boston Rob has some very snippy responses to everyone over the years. Well, and this next quote is another one of those snippy responses to people across the years. Uh, Akiva, this quote is for you. First of all, the guy looks like Grizzly Adams, but he thinks he's Aquaman in the ocean. Grizzly Adams. I'm guessing that's Rupert. I'm going to say eight. 
Yes, that's correct. And yes, it is about Rupert. It's after he gets the Hawaiian sling and goes out and catches a bunch of fish. And then Boston Rob, in a very mature way, decides to also go out into the ocean and catch a bunch of fish to show Rupert up. It was a really great scene and segment. Is Grizzly Adams a real person or is he a fictional character? Oh, good question. Add that to the game. Uh, I yeah. want to say fictional, but I, you could you could convince me either way. Add that to the Renap survey. No, apparently John. Well, first off, his name is John Adams. No, that's uh, why you had to go with a nickname. But, too many John Adams out yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Like too many John Adams out there from the presidential variety. Apparently, he was a real person. Was a famous California mountain man and trainer of grizzly bears. Lived eighteen twelve to eighteen sixty. I'm assuming he died because he was attacked by a yeah, bear. Yeah, that usually is how the bear trainers. Uh, you know, they go out. They go out. You know. <laughs> the way they would have wanted to. Well, no, in 1855, Adam suffered head and neck trauma during a grizzly attack in the Sierra of California. Oh. <laughs> R.I.P. Johnny G. Live by the bear, die by yeah, the bear. Right. Died, died doing what he loved. It's, it's funny that the bears never really appreciate the lifetime of service. <laughs> oh, wait, well, so, oh, wait, so here's the thing. He didn't die because of that. So he got attacked. His scalp was dislodged. Oh. He was left with a silver dollar-sized impression on his skull just above his forehead, but he was fine. Then, when he was on tour with the circus in New England during the summer of 1860, a monkey he was attempting to train purposely bit into the wound, and he died! Oh, my God! All right. I, ca- I was going to say the worst way this is to go, but I, ca- I can't think of any right now. <laughs> no, I can't either. Like, imagine you got this, like, life-threatening injury, you survived it, and then, like, a monkey literally bit into your Achilles heel and you died oh, as a result. I think, I think he died of meningitis, ultimately, but I think that retired him, the, the thing, from what I'm saying. That's pretty if rough. Only- that's really rough. That's worse than any injury we saw in this episode. And if only the real Greek mythology story of Achilles had been that. <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. Exactly. He was bit by a Trojan monkey. <laughs> yeah, right. It is funny because this is such a family friendly show. And I, I had my three year old in here and I needed to watch. And I had some unexpected. I won't say the B word babysitting, but I had to watch my son today. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch Survivor with him. Nothing more kosher. And watching Survivor with a kid. And within like two minutes, somebody's peeing on the other person. And I'm like convincing him they don't show it. So I'm like, no, that's not what they said. They're talking about sweet pea because they were, they had already, I believe, said the words. <laughs> oh, nice. It was like, pivot. yeah. They, but it was like, oh man, what are the, this is one of the worst episodes to like throw a three year old in. You know, if imagine if it was like my, my six year old, they would have gone, told their mom, everyone's peeing on each other. I wouldn't be allowed to watch the show in front of them anymore. <laughs> It was like it's not well, that yeah, kind of show normally. You're showing the show to your children too, right? Yes, but usually, I ninety percent of the time it's not like the you know chocolate for peanut butter. It's usually like a great family friendly show. But I had forgotten that this comes up right away, and uh, you know, a three year old I think you could talk him out of it because it's so ridiculous. It's like, of course, that's not what they were that they were doing, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, so instead of John Carroll being on the beach yelling multiple times, I need someone that has to pee. It was I need someone like Sweet Pea. Yeah, he's three years <laughs> old. My hand is so much. I need this young, bright, smiley girl because my hand hurts so much <laughs> to cheer me up from being stung by a sea urchin. Okay, Mike, back to you. It's like literally picking the girl up and putting her around my back and I'm going to drag your ass to the end. 
Oh, uh, I think that's about Nat 10. I think that's Redemption Island. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> um, that That is about Nat 10. Uh, but he has sort of a similar quote from a different season. I guess, spoiler alert, it's not Redemption Island. Um, Akiva, this quote is for you. The game I got going on is with blank, and that cuts both ways. At times, she can be an asset because basically she'll vote whatever way I tell her to vote. But at other times, it feels like I'm playing Survivor for two. Ooh, so if this is not eight, that's funny. I don't think it's about V. It's certainly not from this season, as far as I can remember. Didn't play with his wife. I mean, that's tricky. It's not 20. I'm going to say, I'm going to say season 22. I'm going to go, I'm going to say it's Redemption Island. Well, I just told you it wasn't from Redemption Island. Oh, sorry. So, <laughs> sorry. Then eight. Then like I go with eight. Then I go with eight. Okay. Uh, no, it was actually Marquesas. He's talking about Sarah here. Oh. Uh, which was just so fun now to, you know, obviously to know the history of Boston Rob and to see him and Sarah, like Sarah sitting on his lap um, mm-hmm. and they're sleeping next to each other and cuddling and stuff. And to know yeah, that, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure on like one of the first nights, like the two of them uh, like filled up the little raft with water and like made it into a hot tub and slept out there or something yeah that's sounds bad for your skin but yeah um although i guess it keeps the no-nos away uh so yeah that, that, as soon as i heard that quote, I was like, <laughs> you, they call them the uh no no no's yeah so such a lively confessional uh yeah no marquesas uh was the was the episode here so uh well mike you are the winner of the quote the boston rob quote quiz I do have one more quote I want to read because I'm just curious as to this turn of phrase, um, most like Vesepia's one that we talked about at the beginning of the show. But Boston Rob said in Redemption Island, you got to hustle if you want to make a dollar. Everybody knows that. Is is that the right turn of phrase? That just mm. sounds clunky, isn't it? Like it's got something. Isn't shouldn't it rhyme or something like that? Is there another phrase that I'm thinking of or am I just making this all up? Well, I feel like this is not a phrase, but I feel like you, I mean, I guess they're trying to, to like really keep it simple, right? Like if you want to make any money, you have to hustle. But I agree that like saying you have to hustle if you want to make a dollar just doesn't, just doesn't ring very well. Like it's not very musical. Right. Shouldn't it be like you got to hustle if you want to. Like make that coin or something. <sighs> yeah, but I feel like I should rhyme. Shouldn't it rhyme? Well, whatever. All well, right, I'll work. The only way rhymes with hustle is bustle. Uh, <laughs> you gotta hustle if you wanna make a bustle. If you wanna buy a bustle, buy a bus- I don't know. Or holla to make a dollar or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a phrase. I feel oh, like. Oh wait, you want if you wanna hustle if you wanna get out Russell. Oh, there you go. Which yeah, that went well um, for him. So all right. Well, yeah, there were a lot of Boston Rob quotes throughout the years uh, that were very interesting. But to hear some of the ones that were very similar over time just really, uh, really were interesting to me. Mm. It was a good game. Uh, yeah, uh, my kneecap response is I, I had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Was it great? Did you have great fun playing it? I had great fun. And please don't ask me if I'm a virgin. <laughs> It's just my kneecap response. Just my kneecap response. Uh, all right. Is there anything else we want to discuss before we get into the next game? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, actually, I do have a question. Okay. Do you guys like Akiva? Do you like watching the challenges on Survivor? Um, 
I like watching old challenges, but not new ones. I don't think there's been anything interesting in the last 15 seasons. Mm. Okay, is it why do you like why is it because the they're new like the concept of the challenges are new or well with reward challenges I think because you've watched them for 40 seasons you don't care about who gets the rewards anymore like as a viewer you don't feel like okay great they get you know a barbecue or they get peanut butter now or something it doesn't mean anything for the reward mm-hmm. challenge particularly post more post merge team reward challenges where you have no reason yeah. to root for either side to me is a waste of TV sp- those should be on like cbs.com but I just think there's no innovation in the challenges. You watch a show like MTV's The Challenge and they have them do such crazy things. And I'm not saying that, you know, everyone needs to be in like peak athletic shape and have them, you know, you know, literally detonating bombs like they do nowadays yeah. on the challenge. But like they they should watch shows like that or even, you know, from what I understand, Australian Survivor, which I don't watch and like, you know, go outside the box of like, we're going to have a race to a puzzle, you know, to, you know, to an obstacle course. Like there, it's crazy how similar and boring I find the challenges nowadays. But yeah, to to your point, I really love this reward challenge, and I, I realize like it has been a while since we've done. I think maybe in All Stars when they built the raft when uh, Saboga got dissolved. I think that's the last time we've outright had like a build a raft and then paddle it in a challenge type of thing. I wondered why they stopped doing it. I can understand why they stopped the hey let's uh, renovate the shelter challenge because like if they lost they lost Home Depot as a sponsor like. There's not really something linked with it, but I'm surprised there's not more, hey, build this thing to use in the challenge. Is it a liability thing, maybe? Like, if they got impaled on the bamboo or something because they were tasked with building it, is that on the show? Mm-hmm. I really, really like that. I would love that to come back, because I was trying to figure out why I find, like, especially with Survivor nowadays, like, every challenge just seems exactly the same. Yep. So it's either stand still and hold something, or it's a sort of physical obstacle course and then a puzzle. And it's just the same thing over and over and over again. Whereas here was the build a raft, go collect a bunch of stuff, and then, you know, I guess that's, like, the, the, modern Survivor maybe have a puzzle at the end, whatever, fine. And then the the immunity challenge was this big um i don't know it, it was the big the, the table maze yeah it was the ta- usually call it yeah the big table maze thing where and people had to rotate and things like that and so i was just i don't know i was just thinking a lot about the challenges and if we could go, go back to more of these types of challenges i think it would be really fun and i was also trying to think of how you edit them and how they do the music and the jeff commentating because i know a lot of the casuals just think that jeff talks way too much but it also feels weird to have zero jeff commentary. jeff doesn't speak it's crazy yeah, he it's just it's silent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's really not much to commentate on this right? challenge. He literally because I think I haven't watched so much of one, two or three recently, but I do think he speaks. You he usually speaks during a challenge where it's appropriate to speak in like seasons two and three. Right. But in in this challenge, yes, he so- in, in this episode, I believe he speaks zero times during both challenges like it's dead silence during maybe that's why they just felt it was too boring for television like they didn't they it was weird they couldn't even like put him in in post maybe they weren't doing that back then like Mm. jeff is totally silent maybe there was enough going on you know like there was always the constant shouts of like stroke 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 Mm -hmm. during the reward challenge and then the immunity (laughs) challenge was like gabe being like all right sweepy move this up here pappy ko like it seemed gabe just had his nicknames for everybody that he was instituting over the course of the challenge but maybe it's because like they didn't need dead air to fill, that the castaways were already filling mm-hmm. it. But to Leona's point, I think that it also shows that, like, challenges need not be complicated. Like, I think that Kierhofer and his team have sort of built this idea of, like, you always got to have a puzzle at the end because we don't want it to be a blowout. But both the challenges in this episode were super competitive, right? Like, 
Road 2 won the reward challenge by, like, maybe a length at most with the raft. And then the immunity challenge, it was tied 2-2, and, like, Road 2 caught up at the very last second. So it makes me feel like just depending on the cast makeup and the challenges that you put out there, it doesn't necessarily need to be the great equalizer that the puzzle usually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the immunity challenge really was a nail-biting finish. <laughs> I was just thinking about how it would have been edited now with the dramatic music and cutting back and forth between the two. Cause it, yeah, with Winners of War playing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that maybe that's what we need. More themes. Survivor needs more theme songs uh, for each season. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was something interesting just to see truly, because we're going back you know, to the very, very beginning of Survivor and to see the drastic differences between how so many things are treated, but especially the challenges, I think, is interesting and i have one other comment because mike you did the final words podcast with rob right Mm -hmm. did you include hunters in that i believe that we did i think that yeah i believe that it was the because i remember that rob and i got into a tangent about the projects that hunter got involved in which spoiler alert we might be talking about soon on this podcast but yeah if i recall correctly we went chronologically and he was second after uh greg buis's enigmatic final words okay because yeah i will phone the red cross for when you die of dehydration <laughs> like wow i hope mike included that and i just want yeah, to camping, camping with a bunch of knuckleheads right all right well this episode i think nalia says it at one point like uh the sea is not kind to you today uh unlike george costanza akiva and i thought that you know what this episode was a great education on the dangers that lurk within the sea So I have combed the internet and the beach, and I have come up with a quiz uh, that asks safety questions about dealing with sea creatures and their various methods of attack. So it's going to be super simple. We're going to go back and forth and look. Uh, This is painted a bit, you know, in my own uh, my own biases. I am someone who has said before that I have a fear of open water. And I will say that these questions have not exactly swayed me in the opposite opinion. So I'm not going to, you know, convince everyone of hydrophobia. But this did open my eyes sometimes to what may lurk in there if the poor plight of John Carroll is not already an indicator. Oh, no. Uh, Now, Akiva, you don't go outside. Uh, Mm. Do you think you would ever go to the ocean? I have been in the ocean. Like, I am a noted endorsement, but I'm, I'm not, like, allergic to the sea. I can swim and stuff. I'm more of a pool guy than an ocean guy, mostly because to get to the ocean, you need to pass by sand, and sand's, like, my least favorite thing. Mm. So if they just dropped you in the middle of the ocean, you'd be fine with that? I mean, like, I'd need to, if there was, like, an island somewhere, like, no sand. Like, if there was, I don't know. I'd have to think about how this would work. Like, it was, like, yeah. ro- like rocks. Yeah, concrete. I don't know if they dropped me on the rocks. I'm not sure I would enjoy that, but <laughs> we could figure out something where, like, there was no sand. Like, they need to invent some sort of sandproof, you know, bathing suit or something, and then I'd be all set. It's a sandless beach. Basically, <laughs> a sandless beach. Out. I'd be in. I'd yeah. be in on that. I don't know. I feel like maybe in like our, our post environmental crisis world, they could be a way they like fabricate sand that is not as stubborn as it as it is now. Yeah, mm, if it, like as, if it's not in my ear, you know, three weeks later, I'll be happy. Mm, gotcha. All right. Well, let's start here. So we'll go back and forth, and some of these will be multiple choice. Some of them will be true or false. But let's dive in here and hopefully not get into too much sand. Um, Akiva, let's start with you. So John Carroll was stunned by a sea urchin this episode, and either, depending on your uh, analysis, either peed or called for sweet pee for that sweet relief, uh, which, spoiler alert, uh, you should not urinate on the area uh, when it's sung. Apparently that is just a myth. But which of the following should you not 
also do when stung by a sea urchin. So I'm going to read four things here. You have to tell me which is something you should not do. A, immerse the affected area in hot water. B, use tweezers to remove the large spines. C, apply shaving cream to the affected area and scrape away with a razor. D, close the wound with tape. Uh, What was C again? Apply shaving cream to the affected area and use the razor to scrape away. I'm going to go with B. I'm sorry. You should not close the wound up with tape after it has been tweeted uh, or tweeted. Yeah. Treated after you tweet about it. Uh, You should immerse it in hot water. You should use the tweezers. And yes, you should actually shave the area. Apparently, uh, urchins leave behind like little tiny claw parts of its body and the razor can scrape away those parts. So if you give your, your finger or whatever your area is a nice shave, then you'll be able to get rid of any sort of fragments of the urchin left. Yeah, I thought that one was definitely too weird for you to have just made it up. Uh, but the- you know, and fun fact, I wrote this right after I shaved. So that's where the uh, the inspiration came from. Inspo. Uh, but the, the covering it with tape, I thought was just a weird turn of phrase. Like, wouldn't you use the term bandage? I don't know. Uh, Are you allowed to I bandage did- it? No, I don't think so. I mean, it said, like, do not close the wound with tape or oh. anything else. Okay. Hmm. Or, or finger glue, I think they said as well, skin glue. Okay, yeah, interesting. What, so you're just supposed to keep it open? To let it air out a little bit, yeah. So like let any foreign particles make its way out of the, the wound naturally. Gotta let it breathe, like a fine exactly. wine. All right, Liana, this one's for you. It's a, it's a true or false. <laughs> Moray eels cannot poison with their bite. True. I'm sorry, it is false. Luckily, <laughs> John Carroll was not bitten by a moray eel because the mucus in a moray eel's mouth has a toxin that destroys red blood cells. That's not good. <laughs> nope, it is extremely frightening. <laughs> okay, I bet this is one of the things where Mike's like, yep, ocean, not for me, gotcha. Yep, no, I have, uh, I, listen, the weird irony is that, like, the first ever career path I decided upon at the age of, like, 10 was that I wanted to be a marine biologist. Uh, there is a very... A renowned aquarium in our town. Shout out to Maritime Aquarium that I used to spend a lot of my time at, maybe inordinately so. But when I actually came to like going into the ocean and experiencing these creatures, I wanted to keep them in glass at all times. So I think this is definitely just sort of hammering that point home. When I was doing my PhD, a friend of mine worked at the uh, aquarium and his job, he got to just go to the beach and catch jellyfish. (laughs) And he got paid way more than we did. We were stuck in the lab and I was so jealous that he got to just go outside and like hang out on the beach. I mean, obviously it's hard work, but at the same time, uh, maybe that's what I should have done, Mike. So when he just went down with like a net and just caught jellyfish that floated by? Yeah. (laughs) There was like a particular time and the weather had to be right and stuff. But there was this place in Mississippi where they would all just like get sort of like washed (laughs) next to the Hard Rock Hotel. And so he would just go out there and scoop them up and then take them back to uh, to the aquarium. Yeah, I think you could have like that could have been your moonlighting job, right? Like if you need some extra cash, if you need to hustle to make that dollar, then you could have catch, caught some jellyfish and maybe undercut the price for them. Yeah, it would have been great fun. All right, Akiva, this next one's for you. And we're going to sharks. Which of the following should you not do to avoid a shark attack? A. Don't swim with shiny jewelry. B. Don't swim in areas where there's sewage. C. Splash excessively to come off as a larger predator. D. Get an uneven tan. 
Yeah, not even tan sounds pretty wild. So it's which one? This it's almost a double negative here, right? Which one should you not right. do? Meaning you like should there, there, you should yeah. do the other three, or do you- exactly? So uh, there are sorry. So there are yeah. There are three that you should not that you should do, and one that you should not do to avoid a shark attack. So so I should say it's it's swim with shiny jewelry, swim in areas where there are sewage. Splash excessively and get an uneven tan. I'm going to say sewage. That just sounds so random. No, actually, uh, sewage apparently attracts bait fish, which therefore attracts sharks. That's one that surprised me. Uh, apparently, you're not supposed to splash around excessively. Uh, even though it might have you come across as a larger predator, it would also make you look wounded, and a shark is more likely to attack you then. Well, who knew? So you should get an uneven tan. You shouldn't get an uneven you tan. You shouldn't get an uneven tan. Yeah, apparently they said don't wear bright colors, get an uneven tan, or wear shiny jewelry, because that will also visually attract sharks. <laughs> no, I think it would have been funny if the guy had been like, I mean, the tan thing, it doesn't really matter for sharks, but it's just really unattractive, so you shouldn't yeah, do that. I, mean, I, don't know, yeah, I don't know exactly if an uneven tan is going to like stick out that much to sharks, unless you're like bright red and like pasty white, and it looks like you're a zebra. Yeah, but that's not a tan. That's a first-degree burn. <laughs> Yeah, don't go into the water and, you know, hang out with sharks if you're sunburned. Maybe that's the better rule. Yeah, okay. I just like this idea of like, oh, I got to even out my tan before I go swimming with sharks, Mm. just in case. That's a good rule to follow. Good rule. All right. Liana, let's say you don't follow the confusing instructions I outlined in the previous question, and a shark does attack you. What should you not do? Play dead. Take a big and aggressive stance. Hit it in the fin or yell at it underwater. <laughs> okay, so first of all, a few things. One, I'm just imagining yelling at a shark underwater, which is a really funny image in my mind. And I'm also getting this confused with what you're supposed to do with bear attacks. So, the- uh, if only Grizzly Adams followed these instructions. <laughs> if only. And then also monkey attacks. I think yeah, should be another the Monkey attacks are a little different. That we cover. Uh, all right, so. Uh, I think you're supposed to hit it in the... Wait, which one are you not supposed to do? Yeah, which one are you not supposed to do of the four? Okay, well, I think you're supposed to hit it in the nose. So I'm going to say hit it in the fin. That is correct, yes. Uh, but yes, you can actually yell at it underwater. In fact, it is somewhat encouraged to like make a loud noise to come across as a larger predator. Apparently, sharks are intimidated by size. And so if you come across like you're... I don't know, if you have BDE in the ocean, then the shark might not attack you then. Are you supposed to yell at a bear? Uh, I think, I, from I've watched that show Labor of Love, you're supposed to get real big and go, Get! Get! <laughs> so I don't know if that counts as yelling. Okay, well, maybe that'll be our next quiz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Once we get to the bear challenge, it's going to come up one of these future rewatches. Akiva, true or false? The best way to treat a jellyfish sting is vinegar. So it's not peeing on, we learned. I'm going to say it mm-hmm. true. It is vinegar. That is correct. Yes, apparently, uh, despite like the accusations, like, well, the ammonia in the urine is going to help. No, scientists suggest that if you immerse a jellyfish sting in vinegar, like an Easter egg, then that's going to be the way to help alleviate the pain. A jellyfish sting. Does that apply to all jellyfish stings? 
I think that there are some jellyfish that are like super duper painful stings, but I think in general, like your common jellyfish sting, like you're down on the beach, uh, shirking much better scientific work to make your dough catching jellyfish, then mm-hmm. yeah, I think that should be fine. Yeah, the Hard Rock Hotel jellyfish. All right, well, now yes. I know to bring vinegar to the beach if I ever were yeah, to just go. Start, just buy all the vinegar you can right now, Leon, if you want to pursue this as a legitimate career path. <laughs> Cause a vinegar shortage. All right, Liana, true or false? A lobster can apply enough force to pinch your finger off. <gasps> oh my god! But what if it's one of those giant ones? You know those ones that are because don't don't they just keep growing for forever? Lobsters, and then when people find them and they're huge, they're like, oh my gosh, this is a two hundred year old lobster. Uh, I think so. <laughs> is, is my, okay, uh, I'm gonna go. Okay, if it's one of the really giant ones, I'm gonna go with yes. I'm sorry, it's actually okay, false. Well, no, that's okay. No, 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 no. I'm just, <laughs> because you're just disagreeing with scientific opinion. I don't. I clearly they just didn't get the really giant ones because yeah, those I suppose are so. huge. No, I think that the thing about a lobster claw is that it like it can apply enough force to like break your finger, but it won't like it's not sharp enough to outright pinch it off. You know, oh. like it'll apply a b- b- blunt force, but there's no sheer edge for it to like actually make a laceration. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, unless the lobsters are sharpening their little claws to come after. Yeah, exactly. So nobody dump any knife sharpeners in the ocean. Otherwise the lobsters are finally going to get their due. <laughs> lobster shanks <laughs> to come out. Yeah, exactly. No okay. lobster shanks, please. You've seen that video of the crab brandishing the knife. That's essentially what it's going to be in lobster form. I love that. I love that video. All right, Akiva, we're going back to stings here, but we are going to sting rays. Oh. Which of the following should you not do when stung by a stingray? Rinse the wound with seawater, put ice on the wound, air the wound out, or pull out the barbs? I think you're not supposed to pull out the barbs. I'm sorry, you're not supposed to put ice on the wound. Hmm. Hmm. They say that it actually might be a way to, like, if there is any barbs or, like, poison left in there, that it might be a way to, like, allow it into your system further, right? Because, like, right. with cold, your skin tends to close up more and swell up. Gotcha. Okay, so you can remove the barbs, though. Yeah, they say if you, unless you're stung, like, in your abdomen or in your neck or, like, Steve Irwin style, like, it has pierced through your body, you should remove the barbs okay. to get, like, as much out as possible. Right, right. Because I guess in that, if it goes too deep, then the blood loss outweighs the poison. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> this is a fun topic. Yeah. Well, speaking of venom, Liana, what is the most venomous fish in the world? Is it the stonefish? The lionfish? The fang tooth blend or the pufferfish? Oh, well, uh, first, when you said sting, I thought of the musical artist and I thought this was going to be a fun trick question. Um, uh, uh, okay, well, I have never heard of the majority of those. And I feel like if the pufferfish were literally the most poisonous one, I would know about it. So I'm going to go with, I don't remember their names, uh, C. The fang tooth blend. Okay, no, I take that back. I take that back. I'm gonna go. With, I'm gonna go. With B. What's it a name? I'm gonna go B. <laughs> the lionfish. Sure. Uh, they were both incorrect. Oh. Uh, the correct answer was the stonefish. The stonefish is a fish that lives on the bottom of a sea and apparently has like the most deadly venom of any fish in the ocean because it is constantly like warning itself off against sharks. If you step on it, it's sort of like the equivalent of like. I don't know, like, a significant amount of cyanide in your system. 
All right. Yeah, I'm good not going in the ocean. Yeah, I mean, these are all venomous, uh, but the pufferfish, the pufferfish is actually like a delicacy in some Asian cultures. But also, if you cut it the wrong way, you could also get poisoned from it. Gotcha. <laughs> all right, Akiva, I'm going to ask you a sports question here. True or false? There have been world championships for octopus wrestling. Um, I mean, you and you could call anything the world championships. Did the octopuses know that they were playing for the title? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they were aware of. What uh, I'm going to say uh, yes. I'm going to say it's happened. Yeah, that is correct. I don't know how that can be false. <laughs> like you don't know that there ha- it hasn't happened. Yeah, they they only stopped doing them in the '60s. Uh, but apparently they've been, they've been on record doing them for like 20 years on the West Coast. People would walk into the ocean and like wrestle as many octopi as they can. And then whoever like gets the most of them ends up winning the championship. Oh, so it's a little bit like fishing, it sounds like. OK. But I guess because octopus are the more likely creatures to like put up a fight, it's like sort of more of a competitive element. And we want to come out against too. this or for this. Right. As a podcast here. No, I think we want to be against it. We're against octopus wrestling. Just get that on the record. We are against octopus yeah. wrestling. Though so I feel like in a, in a world where sports are significantly needed, like, do not turn to this, people. Like, let's not yeah. bring back this or bear baiting or, like, any ancient sports rituals of the past just because we can't do the regular stuff. I would like yeah. uh, for all future episodes of the B&B to, like, when you when you open up the podcast, say, like, hi, I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Leona Boris, and we are the podcast formerly against octopus wrestling. <laughs> exactly. The panel... Whoever's on it is against Dr. That should be the first question when you come on. And if they answer wrong, that's it. They're out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Instead of starting with, oh, so what's your history with Survivor? Are you opposed to octopus wrestling? Uh, Because it's going to be when if if I ever go out on to set again for Survivor, if Survivor ever comes back, that's going to be the first question I ask any future contestants. Okay, good. Um, Yeah, because any sport that was uh, stopped in the 60s probably uh, should never be brought back. That's a good point. Good point. All right, Liana, which of the following sea creatures are not venomous? The California cone, the blue-ringed octopus, speaking of octopuses, the Portuguese man of war, or the barracuda? What was the first one? The California cone. California cone? It's a snail. Okay. Um, okay, the Japanese man of war, I'm pretty sure is because that's an octopus and it's like got that weird spine thing on the back. That one I am familiar with. Yeah. Is a uh, what was the second one? So it's the California cone, the blue ringed octopus, the Portuguese man of war and the barracuda. Okay, I'm going to go with the octopus. I'm sorry. A blue-ringed octopus is actually one of the most venomous creatures in the ocean. Uh, uh, even though, like, actually, apparently all octopuses are venomous just in their bite, but this one apparently is, like, jacked on it. The barracuda, while, you know, its, it's bite is pretty nasty, it is not venomous. But yeah, the California cone is a little old sea snail that has one tooth that if it, it bit you, it would probably kill you. Oh, okay, yeah, good to know. I figured because there was a song about barracudas that... <laughs> <laughs> it would be poisonous, but uh, yeah, you go. Snail. That's a good rule of thumb. Like, I, you would only dedicate an ode to a sea creature if it ended up having some deadly harm. Yeah, to I mean, it. why would you say "ooh, barracuda" if it's not dangerous? <laughs> I guess it is. It's I mean, just I guess not it's still dangerous, just not poisonous. Right, yeah, right, right, right. like "ooh, California cone" does not flow. Or as wait, well. venomous. There's a difference. Isn't it poisonous if you eat it, you'll die? But venom is if it eats you, you die. Yeah, something like, well, I think if it eats you, you're dead anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but like if it bites you <laughs> versus if you bite yeah. it. Yeah, I believe that's the case. Yeah, like if you digest something, it's it, and it, it 
poisonous. poisonous it's poisonous. Right, but if if it bites you and then you get sick, then it's venomous. Okay. Well, no matter what, congratulations, Akiva. You have proven you might not like sand, but you're a master of sea creatures, or at least how dangerous they can be. You win here two to one. Unbelievable. Mm. He hustled to make that dollar. <laughs> and plus another dollar on top of that. Oh, well, I'm not going to uh, leave too much uh, empty space here in the game, because I have another game that I just came up with on the fly. Because I don't know if you guys know this, so Hunter Ellis got voted out third in Survivor Marquesis, but he went on to, like, I would not say have a monumental career in television, but he's been doing him stuff. He's been hustling to make those dollars. Mm. Uh, I would so also not say monumental I, career. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Considering that I believe uh, there's been many a tweet about like him hawking like a flint and other wildlife supplies at like three in the morning on the aforementioned OLN outdoor network. Hmm. Wait, so were you going to IMD bags Hunter Ellis? A little bit, yeah. So here's what's going to happen. Hunter has actually hosted a good amount of reality television. So I'm going to read a, a reality show and we'll go back and forth here. Tell me whether or not it was a show hosted by Hunter Ellis. <laughs> wow. All right. Let's do it. All right. Liana, let's start with you. Man moment machine. Sure. <laughs> yep. That was a series on the history channel that documented an important event in history and went into detail about the man and his background, the machine and how it was made and the outcome. I don't I know that you just said a sentence, but I don't understand that sentence. Yeah, man moment machine. It sounds like one of the most like generic concepts for a show. I've heard it's it on sometime. season 42, though, right now. Big hit. <laughs> it's a middle well, America show, Liana. <laughs> Under the radar. Big hit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's just one of those. It's like the uh, the ridiculousness is to MTV <laughs> as man moment. machine. Oh, they, air, they air man moment machine <laughs> hundreds of times a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So many episodes of Man Moment Machine yeah. existing every day. It's on 23 hours a day. <laughs> Do you think they call it Triple M, like the hardcore fans? Oh, well, I mean, of course. Yeah, I'm sure there's a subreddit for it. Uh, really just hardcore fans. Podcasts, I'm sure. If, if, Mike, if we ever wanted to branch out, I think we could consider doing a Triple M podcast. All right, Akiva, digging for the truth. <laughs> I'm going to say that's not a real show. I think that's a little too, I don't want to say too generic, but I don't think, I don't think that's his like sort of type of thing. I'm going to say no. Ah, uh, no, never, never underestimate the wantonness of Hunter Ellis to appear on television. He was indeed on Digging for the Truth, which surprise, surprise, was a History Channel television okay. series. Uh, uh, he took over as host, apparently, from Josh Bernstein, a CEO and a CEO of Boulder Outdoor Survivors Survival School. Apparently, basically, it's uh, each episode typically dealt with an event or subject in history that is not completely understood by modern historians. And Hunter Ellis explained it all. <laughs> the expert in the unexplained. Exactly. Hunter Ellis, that's the man that we turn to. Uh, okay. Liana. Yeah, yes. BBQ <laughs> Pitmasters. No, I, I no, this because that's that's about barbecue. I feel like Hunter Ellis is since now we've heard two of his shows like that's too normal and food based for it to be one of his shows. Yeah, that is correct. He went, has gone nowhere near a barbecue since those knuckleheads voted him out. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, he's not, you know, he's an expert on mysteries of archaeology, but, you know, food. <laughs> no, outside of his comfort zone. Akiva. Axemen. 
Sounds like a good show. Way better than the other ones, but I'm going to say not a real show, X-Men. Yeah, so, yes, it is a, a show on the History Channel, but alas, Hunter Ellis did not uh, host it, mm. surprisingly not, despite it being on the History Channel. I just assumed he's hosted everything at this point. What is X-Men about? It was a Quibi show. X-Men is about the work of several logging crews in the second-growth forests of northwestern Oregon, Washington, and Montana, and the rivers of Louisiana and Florida. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, a.k.a. the areas, listen, if you can't wrestle octopi, I guess you have to start chopping stuff down. Uh, yeah, and people watch this show. Oh, I'm sure. People watch Ice Road Truckers, so yeah, I feel like that's the like same the opposite. vein. Yeah, yeah the, the other part of it. All right, Liana, the Generations Project. Isn't the Generations Project that uh, documentary where they, like, revisit it's like seven generations? No, that's not seven, seven generations. That's seven up. Uh, the drink. Because <laughs> oh, I was like, I'm pretty sure Hunter Ellis <laughs> didn't know that. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with no, because I think it's something similar. And again, I feel like it's got to be weirder for Hunter Ellis to host. That is correct. What is it? It's it's just, it's a show. I mean, you described the, the plot. It was just people looking back on their previous generations, but uh, Hunter Ellis did not host it. Okay. Yeah. No, it's too, it's too serious for him. All right. Uh, Akiva, In Harm's Way. In Harm's Way. Very generic also. Sounds bad in harm's way and maybe a little spooky. I'm going to go with no. Uh, no, Hunter Ellis did indeed host in harm's way, which he branched out a bit from the History Channel, went to the CW, looks at the lives of people who do dangerous jobs. I guess that fits. Yeah. With, uh, yeah, with the title. Uh, yes, uh, it includes war photographers, oil well cappers, the Alaskan Coast Guard, bicycle messengers in Boston, and minesweepers. Uh, one of these things is not like the other. I can't believe they didn't cl- include octopus wrestlers or bear wranglers or any well, type of so that the, profession. This makes sense as to why he ended up being on this. So it was created by Craig Polygian. Who was actually, uh, people might not know this, was one of the big like guys behind the scenes on the first season of Survivor uh, okay. early on. So I think it makes a lot of sense as to why that direct uh, segue happened. Is Mike right? Do people not know that Craig Polygian was the man one of the main guys behind the scenes on the first season of Survivor? Come on. The Polygian stands don't know fan. that? Come on, get out of here. Yeah, the Polygian people, they they have been stumping for him the all the years. They call themselves his super fans. Oh, God. <laughs> don't Google that. Uh, all right, Liana. Extreme Yachts. Is this a Quibi show? I don't believe so. <laughs> I'm torn between I want to watch it. Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. No, I'm going to go. No, no, I'm sorry. He did indeed host a show called Extreme Yachts in 2006. Of course. Yes. Uh, are you a typical Hunter Ellis project? All right. Uh, Akiva, back to you. WAGS, uh, W-A-G-S, which is an acronym for something. Wives and Girlfriends. So that's definitely a real show. Yeah, but of like footballers. Yeah, footballers or soccer players, as we would say, uh, you know, if you grew up in Louisiana. Um, I think, I think um, he is, is he a sports guy at all? Like, does he have anything to do? I guess, what does he have to do with digging? Right. What does he have to do with yachting? Yeah, well, yachting is something totally or different. Moments or machines. Um, I think I'm going to say he did Wags is a real show, not hosted. You got to need a Brit to host Wags, I think. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say no. That is correct. Yes, he did not make his way across the pond or the ocean 
to host that. So congratulations, Akiva. I believe you are the master of not only the ocean, but Hunter Ellis hosted shows. Wow. What do I win? <laughs> Add it to your resume. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I have one final activity for us to do today. I finally got around to reading my People magazine, which is I, of course, famously got with my expired airline miles. Um, and there was a one page article about Survivor. So right, isn't it was, are you supposed to be a Cosmo person, though? Haven't we established well, this? Uh, OK, uh, you can enjoy Cosmo and <laughs> for some reason, get People magazine with True. your expired airline miles. Um so yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. Although there's less quizzes in the People magazine, which is pretty sad. But uh, so, are there any quizzes in the People magazine? <laughs> no, and I don't think so. I'm looking through it now. I mean, there's the crossword puzzle at the end, and then the can you spot the difference between these two pictures? Which wait, are they pictures of celebrities or are they just pictures? <laughs> yeah, no. So this one is the America's Got Talent panel. And you have to spot the difference between. Oh, so they just photoshopped in like random, I don't know, like a a, a horse in the background of Simon Cowell and <laughs> Sophia, almost said Sophia Coppola. Uh, <laughs> no, nope. <laughs> Sophia Vergara is. Yeah, uh, my, my kneecap response was Sophia Coppola. Yeah, no, I'm looking at it right now. They like photoshopped one of their Dunkin' Donuts cups to be smaller. Um. Man, I'm bad at the difference. Oh, actually, speaking of People Magazine, one other fun fact I just read about Hunter Ellis. In 2003, People Magazine named Hunter Ellis one of the 20 sexiest men on cable television. What year? 2003. Wow. Solid job actually, by his publicist. Yeah, really. In 2003, Ellis received an Emmy nomination for hosting what? Countdown to Survivor of the Amazon for KCBS TV. Oh, it's a local <laughs> Emmy. Oh, that's a daytime Emmy. You guys heard but the bad news about Whoopi, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but, but he nearly is on the same page as Whoopi Akiva because in 2006, he won a local Emmy Award for hosting Hola, Survivor Guatemala. Oh. Now, if he, if he like, makes a, uh, it produces a Broadway show about that, he could win the Tony for it. Um, He's getting And there. then he hosts the Tonys, wins the Emmy for hosting the Tonys. And then, yeah, when Man, when Man Moment Machine the musical comes to Broadway yeah. soon, I think that he's really going to have an EGOT online. Yeah, then I think you just Ellis. do a short film, Man, an Man, what's it, Man, what machine? Man meets machine. Man moment, Man machine. moment machine. Uh, bring it to like a short film, maybe foreign language film, and uh, there you see your EGOT. Hunter, who's yeah. which survivor would be like the least likely to win an EGOT? I feel like you'd be up there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I guess is this like a minor league EGOT? Like if you win the equivalent awards just in lesser categories like sound editing uh daytime yeah. emmy or local emmy even worse by the way if i won a local emmy let's be honest it would be it would be you know i would mention it constantly i would make rob introduce <laughs> me as an emmy winner <laughs> well the sound editor fans are gonna come for you i know sorry <laughs> like t-dub yeah. we are pro first the, first sound the polygamists editing. next oh, yeah. the sound editors yeah um, special shout out to scott st pierre by the way all right. So this uh, this article, one page, it's Survivor Turns 20. Like I said, it's a little out of date. So uh, bear with me. Uh, and this is a where are they now article. So the writer for this article, I guess you could call it. It's just 
mostly pictures. But uh, on May 31st, 2000, millions of Americans watched as 16 people were marooned on an island to compete for one million dollars by voting each other off the show one by one. CBS's Survivor became a TV obsession and is going strong after 40 seasons. Here's what four memorable winners are up to today. So I thought mm. it would be fun if we dr- you guys drafted who you think uh, is in this article. Ah. So I think draft three people will do a snake draft and uh, you can try to get as many people that you think uh, are, part- are part of this article, I guess. So, okay. so, so this is from that. What, what year is this written? What, what seasons is this encompassing? Well, this article was written at least by June 15th, 2020. So. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a modern. Okay. It's, it's a new one. So it's just, it's any winner. Okay, fine. Yeah. Cause it's Survivor it was an turns old magazine. 20. Got it. So, well, I mean, it's like a couple of weeks old. Got now. it. Um, all right. So, uh, Akiva, since you won the last mini game, you can make the decision if you want to draft first or second. I'll go first. Okay, you'll draft first. Okay, so who's your first pick off the board? Okay, so this is People Magazine recently. What are these winners up to? Right, so here's what four memorable winners are up to today. And then they have like little vignettes. But this is done with the knowledge of season 40 happening, which is interesting because it's like, are they going to go outside the. Whew. I'm going to go with someone. See, I, now it's dumb to go first because now it's either like people who are mostly on the show. Or people mostly. I'm going to say Todd Herzog. Okay. Um, so now, Mike, you're going to get two picks in a row. Uh, I feel like, I don't know. This one feels super obvious to me, but you got to go with Richard Hatch, right? Yeah. He has one of the most infamous stories about not only one of the most well-known winners, but also what happened to him after the show is just so embroiled in so much drama that I feel like he has to be a slam dunk here. Okay, and then what's your second pick, Mike? My second pick, I feel like another person who was just on the show, but like people might not, literally people, the magazine might not care about that and want to bring it up. I'm going to go with Ethan here. Okay. Yeah, that's a good call. All right, now Akiva, you get the next two picks. Okay, what are they here? Where are they now? I'm going to say Sandra. Okay. I, I've sort of abandoned my strategy of picking people who are not on the current season. And because also like people like Tina, like what's she up to? I don't know. There's not. It's like the same old thing, I guess. Um. So Sandra and. Ooh, how crazy would it be if they got Natalie White? Like, here's what she's up to. I would have bought People magazine. To, I mean, I don't think anyone yeah, knows what she's like, up to. That would be a very. They, they, you need article. to hire like Woodward and Bernstein to find that one out. I think. Yeah, <laughs> it's a timely reference. Um. So Sandra and Boston Rob. All right. And Mike, you get one final pick. Oh, okay. So I have to think about all of Survivor history. Who is somebody? This could have been a 10 round draft. We might not get anybody also. That's very true. Actually, there's four people. There's a very likely chance that maybe one of us got one person and that's it. Uh, So I'm going to go before the 30s here. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Kim Spradlin. Just to just to appease Liana. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. You maybe get an extra bonus brownie point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So to recap, Mike, your team is Richard Hatch, Ethan, and Kim, and Akiva. Your team is Todd, Sandra, and Boston Rob. So you have identified between the two of you three wow. of the wow. four. Draft. 
Uh, yeah. So overall, you guys did really well. Mike, your first pick of Richard Hatch was correct. Richard Hatch is actually the first person that they feature. And they do talk about the... Um, uh, let's see. Yeah. Who served 51 months in prison after the show, in part for evading taxes on his winnings. Um, so that is included. There's a little bit on Richard Hatch. Then Akiva, you got with your Sandra pick. That is also correct. Sandra, the four-time competitor and outspoken Texas mom, uh, won twice by voting out allies to save herself. Uh, Texas? And- <laughs> uh, Sandra's, yeah, I think, lived in every state. Yeah. Every time I look, she's somewhere else. And I don't even look, uh, so. And they include a quote from her that says, don't forget, she says, the queen stays queen. So, Wait, so is she the only person who they get a quote from? Um, no, I think they have a quote. Let me see. Uh, they have a quote from Richard Hatch as well, um, which is, when I was invited to compete, nobody had an inkling of how I'd play. <laughs> so that's useful. Oh, okay, that's weird, because one is from the game, and one is Richard Hatch actually talking about his experience. Right. <laughs> Not everyone answered their, uh, you know, email to, to talk about the uh, where, where they are where they are now. Uh, and then the last person that you guys got correctly correct was also Akiva with the Boston Rob pick. Uh. So, uh, yeah, Boston Rob was there. The fourth person who neither of you got was Amber. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's cheating. I was, I was thinking, I was like, do I try to like snipe a point from Akiva by saying Amber? But I, wait, so they have two separate ones <laughs> for each of them? No, they are featured in like the same little panel oh, okay. section. So it is Rob and Amber Mariano. So they are there. And of course, they say now married 15 years. They live in Florida with their four daughters. So that's and their daughters cut their hair recently in quarantine. <laughs> yes. And are doing home improvement projects. <laughs> okay, that makes more sense than like Rob Mariano and then Amber Mariano. What was she up to? She married Rob Mariano <laughs> in 2004. Yeah, they just, she gets her own section. Um, but yes, they are the power couple uh, from Survivor, if you are curious. And the picture of the two of them is from the All Stars reunion uh, where Amber's wearing her I Heart Rob shirt. So, well, congratulations. Do you think she's, do you think she, is she ever going to live that down, do you think? What, the shirt? Yeah. No. I'm trying to think if for like a hundred thousand dollars, my wife would wear that shirt, like out to, to I st- heart Rob shirt. Well, I heart, uh, <laughs> I heart Uncle. How about I heart Uncle Kiwi? Uncle, <laughs> do you think she would? I'm gonna ask her. Yeah, which which nickname of yours do you think like would be the most likely to wear? Well, she hates Uncle Kiwi. Makes her like very squeamish. She thinks it's really gross. Can I, I think can I call her? Can I call her? Right? Because then it could be like, oh, you're a car fan, I see. Can I call her? Yeah. Let's see. I would be, absolutely. Let's see if she I, uh, so I, I don't know if I should be talking about this, but the Renap the musical, I do have a part in that. Oh my God. Um, I don't think you so, should. I didn't yeah. even know that's a thing. Really... Uh, Mayor, I have a quick question for you for, the, for a podcast, okay? Okay. Uh, how much money would you need to wear? On television, a T-shirt that says "I Heart Uncle Kiwi," like the "I Heart New York," but it says "Uncle Kiwi." One million. One? You wouldn't do it for a hundred thousand dollars? I guess I would. Okay, but that's that's as low as you'd go. Yeah. In public. In public on TV, national TV, CBS. Do you have to say what it means. Nah, people can read. Do people know what that means. Uncle Kiwi, I mean, I assume I'll be like a big star at that point. Everyone will know who Uncle Kiwi is, yes. Well, then I won't need $100,000, so no. Well, I might be like a big star, but like a lab <laughs> goddess. I don't know. All right, thank you. You're welcome. 
I'm, I'm glad you talked your wife down from the initial price point of a million dollars. So in her mind, I was like so wealthy and successful, it didn't matter and she didn't need the money. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. I guess your wife initial price point was the price point of Amber. Yes. Right. She's like, oh, you know what? I'm winning a million dollars. I'll wear a million dollars plus television. giving like four of your friends cars randomly. That was the price. Yeah, exactly. And a televised wedding special and two subsequent appearances on The Amazing yes. Race. Right. And one more it's in Survivor. But that was a punishment, it seemed like. <laughs> I love it. All right. I think that'll be that'll be all of our, uh, I think, homework assignments for this week. Like, go to our significant others and ask, like, how much money would you pay to have, like, an I Heart, you know, uh, embarrassing nickname shirt on on national television? I think that's a good What would your experience. shirts respectively be? Oh, for your partners. Gosh. I don't I know. I think mine would be like, Angel would have to wear like, I heart man whore mic Yeah, or that's probably it. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't think, I don't know. Do I have an embarrassing nickname that's out I there? I also think like, I'm going to guess Pui is a pretty good sport and he'd wear any shirt you you, you ask them to wear. Uh, oh, for sure. And he'd probably do it for free because yeah, he's yeah. a sucker also. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you could definitely manipulate him into doing it for free. Yeah, he wouldn't think to monetize the situation in some way. He's just like, but I love you, so it's fine. Uh, well, this was I fun or whatever that phrase was from the brunette bot. Uh, I had a great time with the games here today as we talked about an episode of Survivor Marquesis and touched upon everything from the uh, career of Hunter Ellis to the spreads of People Magazine. Akiva Whitaker, thank you so much for coming back, for traipsing back into the oceans of the BNB. Hope you didn't get too much sand on you. For people who want to check out all the stuff that you are doing in the midst of everything going on, how can people contact you and, and what are you up to in these podcast streets? Uh, yeah, I'm at KEV26, KEV26. And what are we up to? I don't know. Rob and I just watched ALF, uh, the show everyone's talking about in 2020 for Rob and Akiva Needed Podcast. <laughs> And Chester and I just ranked uh, every North American city's, uh, major North American city's Mount Rushmore for sports. So, uh, Ooh, do any uh, octopus wrestlers get on? There? Uh, there's no octopus wrestlers, but you know, it, you get to New York and it's like you need to be like an iconic Yankee. But then some of the smaller cities, it's like, mm. all right, this person once like caught a fish in a lake. They're they're on like boys. Oh, I was big fish in a small yeah. pond. Just make sure that fish is venomous. Yes. Um, so yeah, different, different cities have different, we had a, an Irish listener call in and uh, give his Cork, Ireland, Mount Rushmore and spoiler alert, I, st- I've never heard of any of the four, even after hearing the list. You could just come in with like four completely. I think he did. I think he made up four it. people. Cause they were all like Seamus O'Sullivan Finnegan. And we were like, no, we don't know those people. <laughs> But, you know, I I mean, if you were trying to carve their faces out of stone, like you don't even know what they look like. So that that might be challenging. Well, that also is one of the funds of the Mount Rushmore. If you imagine like what the you know, like some of the Mount Rushmores are more fun. You put a mascot on a Mount Rushmore, the actual Mount Rushmore. That's fun, right? Like gritty maybe should Mm -hmm. be on Philadelphia's Mount Rushmore. I didn't think of that. Like that's more interesting than seeing Dr. J on a Mount Rushmore. Liana is rich. Sandra, Rob, and Amber on People Magazine Survivor Mount Rushmore now. Ooh, does People Magazine have the final authority with determining the Mount Rushmore? Because I'm trying to remember what uh, when was that discussed? It was on a Twish episode, I feel like, where I think it was Sandra, Boston, Rob, Harv, well, and Russell, was, um, maybe. Yeah, and I also think, Akiva, when you were on Twist this past season, there was a discussion of, like, who would you put on the DVD cover of Survivor the Complete yes. Series, which is sort of like a similar discussion. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I think that's when you talked about it. Yeah, that you know, that that's the uh, I guess now that's changed a little bit since spoiler. We can spoil current seasons of Survivor on this, right? I'm always very spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying like now, obviously, Tony's on there, but you almost need you almost need like Sarah. But I like I like the idea of sort of Mount Rushmoreing everything. But maybe Survivor DVD covers because that has more spots is like a better question for things. Yeah, I like this idea. Instead of Mount Rushmore, next time let's do, what's the Survivor DVD cover of, I don't know, 80s films? Also, like, in my family, I feel like I don't make the Mount Rushmore, but there's only six of us, so I could probably make the DVD cover. Mm. Uh, you hope you're not replaced by, like, Jeff Probst or something. No, I'm always looking to be replaced here, so who knows? <laughs> Liana, what are you up to these days, podcast-wise and social media-wise? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Liana RHAP. In addition to, of course, doing the Survivor coverage here, I'm podcasting about RuPaul's Drag Race. We just started All Stars 5, so um, that season is off and running, and I'm talking about that. Uh, hopefully the episode we're recording today, so it should, well, I don't know whenever you're listening to this. Anyway, whatever. Check it out uh, on the Drag Race feed. It's a good time and lots of fun. Yeah, so they're actually going to crown a sixth winner, so it'll be enough to fill out a RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars DVD cover. That's all we need. <laughs> Just, but that's the reason why they're putting it out there. And you can always follow me at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, outside of Survivor stuff, I'm covering Top Chef, which is airing its season finale next week with a very great panel. Josh Wiggler and I are going down the hatch, as well with our Lost Rewatch podcast. Maybe some other stuff as well. Maybe that uh, long... A way to tattoo project might finally get off the ground this week. We shall see. But we're going to keep on keeping on here on the B&B as we move through Survivor history alongside Rob Cesarnino, Josh Wiggler, David Bloomberg, and Jessica Lewis. And I can announce at this point that next week, Liana and I are going to take a big leap forward in time. And we were talking about how the Madamu tribe is a hot mess. Next week, we are going to an episode literally titled, We Are a Hot Mess. We are jumping way forward in time. We are covering. Season 29, episode 4 next week of Survivor, memorably known as The Downfall of Drew Christie. And we will see how basic of a badass he is as Drew Christie ends up throwing a challenge and falling on his sword as a result. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. It, uh, in addition to watching some of the Boston Rob rewinds, I also watched sassy Jeff Probst compilations. And uh, this was part of it was some stuff from uh, San Juan del Sur. So I'm really looking forward to this, this rewatch. Yeah, I'm trying to remember because I, I, I know that there was a previous episode when they tried to get the Flint. I think episode four is when they found the Flint and tried to give it back to Jeff Probst. Yes, mm -hmm, that was definitely <laughs> that was a great moment. He's like, you guys suck. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. You can hear the contempt uh, in his voice. <laughs> So we'll get to that. Maybe we'll have a quiz about uh, the Jeff Probst snide moments next week. But I'm very excited to keep on keeping on. Uh, since it's an off week, Liana and I, I think we'll, we'll go back to being us. But there'll be plenty more guests to join us in the future. Akiva, thank you so much again for making your return to the B&B. &B. It was a great time. I know you've been sort of drifting through your own uh, history TV-wise this past week between ALF and Glee and now this. But I think you're now a master's of like early to mid-2000s television. Yeah, and uh, Ale I've been uh, my co-host on 32 Fans, Alex Chester. Since there are no sports, I've been t taking him through some old Survivor seasons. Mike's been on one. I think Liana's going to come on one. Um, and uh, so I've been wa doing double duty. We're watching Survivor Token Sheens right now. And uh, a lot of old TV. And it's random. It's like one episode at a time, usually. I'm just like Can I ask this? Again, this is fully spoiled for Survivor. Like, you, from the perspective of rewatching Token Sheens, is it 
exceeding your expectations? Is it underwhelming? Like, what have you thought about the token? It was one of my favorite seasons, so I'd say it has slipped a little bit. Like, there are, it's more character than strategy. There isn't a ton of drama. Once you, like, it's obvious to Chester that JT's going to win, like, pretty early on. Um, I, so I, I, I like coaches even better than you could remember. Tyson is much meaner than you can remember, but he's such good TV. But I, I, I think as a season that was one of my favorites, like sometimes I would call my favorite, maybe it's slightly overrated. Hmm. Yeah, Tyson is like to watch the evolution of Tyson. Also, maybe I should watch the Tyson supercuts next. No, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's crazy to go from like his first confessional of season eighteen is like you know I hate the the brunette girl like get her out quick to first ep- confessional of season forty is him like crying over missing his kids. Like it's such a crazy transformation from this guy. Yeah, well, it's not first confessional because it's about Aaron, right? And then yeah, it's, there's a, she's there's like a bunch of first. Yeah, she's like, oh, the blonde guy, I yeah. feel like I can really trust him. And then he cuts the ties to be like, I hate the brunette girl. Yeah, he seems like such a nice, like, Mormon kid or something like that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Tyson and yeah. Chogan Cheats is hilarious. So, yeah, if you, if you want to throw, if you want to hustle to throw a couple dollars uh, the way of 32 fans, you get access to that great content as well. But we're going to be back next week to talk about Season 29, Episode 4 here on the BNB. If you guys have thoughts about any games, again, as the past few weeks have shown, we're going to literally talk about anything Survivor adjacent in this offseason. So we are open to any ideas you may have. R-H-A-P-B-N-B at gmail.com. Uh, special thanks to Scott St. Pierre, as mentioned before, for editing everything behind the scenes. Shout out to sound editors as well in general. Uh, Paul Osselson, our head writer, Wolf from America for our theme song. Leon and I will be back next week talking season 29 episode four as we continue our tiny whiny jump through survivor but for now we'll check you out at your next day mike and liana yeah they're playing some games you better pray to your mama that they're not super lame and if that all sounds cool i can tell you the name it's the r h a p b m b mike and liana yeah they're playing some games you better pray to your mama that they're not Sounds cool, I can tell you the name It's the R-H-A-P-M-B You can't say for free Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.